You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitated support meetings for families and individuals who've been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hi, Stella. How's it going? Hello, Sasha. It's our it's our last episode of the year, isn't it? I know, I know. And we, we, we have a lovely episode planned. I, I think people will really enjoy it. I actually like this time of the year because I think it's a space for reflection. And I, I think it's really an important space. And not only that, we have um, we kind of exciting plans for 2022 with our podcast. I think it, yeah. the podcast, I feel since we hit a year, we suddenly kind of went into right and we kind of almost expanded the concept. And uh, this Pioneers series that is on the way <laughs> is a kind of part of our expansion. I think it's a lovely, it was your idea and it's such a good idea. Yeah, I guess the thinking behind Pioneer series is that, you know, we've we've kind of div- dove very deep into a lot of these contemporary issues around ROGD and internet use and all of this stuff. And I thought, gosh, it would be really nice to do a Pioneer series where we interview really experienced, important clinicians and researchers whose work have contributed like a foundational understanding to gender, sexuality, sexual orientation, identity, transgenderism, all of that stuff. So this is kind of like a back to basics 101 about gender and sexuality. And so I think this will be really good for us because it will help ground our future conversations in like, you know, let's just kind of clear the noise and figure out like, what are the foundational pieces of information that everybody needs to know about gender and sexuality research and work, clinical work? Yeah, because it's like gender was tricking along, tucking along, whatever the word is. And it was it was tipping along. That's the phrase. And <laughs> it was doing its own thing. It was a very small field of research. They all seemed to know each other and they were doing their papers and they were in their whole, they were in their scene and yeah. nobody else was talking about it. And it sounds like they were all talking to each other and writing journals and all that. And then suddenly it exploded and people like us suddenly got interested. And it's like we're the we're the newcomers to their old field. And it's like we really need to explore what were they studying back in 1995? What were they studying? What were they studying way back in 1989 or in 2001? Because that is a huge amount of knowledge and it's not impacted by politics. This was when just researchers were researching and they were just doing their thing. And they they didn't, they didn't, they had no idea they were about to get into the biggest um, issue in the world. They had no idea what they were, (laughs) they were, they're just, and what's interesting, I think with the pioneers, I've noticed them because obviously you and I have followed them and stuff. They feel very unaffected, it seems, by the politics because they were there first. So they're just going, I don't know what happened, what's happening out there. I'm just doing my work. And so there's, yeah. a, there's a feeling of almost they just think, right, well, that's out in that world. I'm just over here just doing the work that I've always done for the last 35 years. Yeah. And I think some of the pioneers that we will talk to, they have known for a long time that this can be controversial work. But some of these these individuals yeah. are real hardcore scientists and researchers. And they're like, I don't want to be swayed by the politics. I'm just here to study this topic. So they they have a kind of backbone. Well, maybe we can talk about what the criteria were, because some of the people we interviewed are not pioneers in the sense that they were doing research in the 90s. But we we kind of are broadening the definition a little bit. So I guess like some of the things that were on my mind when we were putting together our list of interviewees were... Like, first of all, people, like we said, whose research has been really foundational in our understanding of sex and gender. So these are people like Dr. Blanchard, Dr. Zucker, those kinds of guys. The main and ones. then also there are clinicians who are newer to the game 
who may be picked up on the ROGD phenomenon and we're calling it out for what it was. Yeah. And then there'd be other people like, um, you know, Paul Vassy, who had such a, a different field of study, but it's around, you know, the Fafafine over in Samoa, where it's like, oh, oh, so when everybody talks about two spirit and third gender and all that, and we think, God, where has this come from? It's like, well, this guy knows everything there is to know about the Fafafine yeah. in Samoa. And this adds to our understanding because it's like, OK, so we, we thought we just discovered all this. No, 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 no. There's 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 it's not a, new. We're standing on the shoulders of giants like there's right. absolute masses of knowledge right. that that really needs to be um, really needs to be disseminated out into yeah. the public. And that's what we, we're we're trying to do here with this. That's right. And some of the other people we're interviewing also um, perhaps caught on to the fact that medical intervention as a primary um, solution is not helpful. So there are some individuals we speak to who perhaps through their own work or their research proposed to include more psychological intervention rather than medical intervention for gender dysphoria. So, so these are some of the criteria in our mind. Now, we know that there are lots of very important contributors to contributors to our understanding of gender and sexuality that have not been interviewed. So we don't want to make it seem oh, as God, though yeah. these coming interviews are the comprehensive end all and be all of the only important people. But, you know, we have contact with these particular individuals and we feel like their research has really helped us and we are very, very excited to get these yeah. These For researchers example, and scientists yeah. on the show. And like you say, we just picked a, a kind of, it's like uh, moments, you know what I mean? Different people who would kind of represent different moments. Dr. Has, Az Hakim, and he ran the only really gender critical group for trans people. And he ran it for many years in London. And it, it, it had extraordinarily results, extraordinary results. And he he um, has since written a book about it and things like that. But it's it's it feels like there's a lot of untapped knowledge, right. and our our big thing here is we're going to actually bring on the experts and hear put them the, together in yeah. one place. We'll have a series <laughs> of interviews, and I feel a little bit um, maybe this is a bit superstitious, but I feel nervous lest we name someone who ends up not making the recording time or something like that. But you know. These are the people we have on our radar and there will be a lot of surprises as well. So we hope everybody is excited and um, engaged with this series, which we're, we're really thrilled to put together. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about New Year's. So, well, do you take resolution seriously? Do you tend to you have know, one? It's funny because I was thinking about this. I know that a lot of people are, they crap on New Year's resolutions, yeah, right? Yeah, oh, New yeah, Year's resolutions yeah. don't work. The yeah. research shows that nobody sticks with them. Like, I get all that. Um, but I also think that the, the New Year is this really important marker of what might offer a fresh start or an opportunity to build in a new habit or or just to have some particular value or priority on your radar. So personally, I tend to I tend to be a little more general. So my new year's ideas or goals are usually broad. Um and yeah, I have a couple things on my mind. What about you? Before we get into the details, are you like a big new year's resolution person? I am. I am not resolution, but I am a very big new year's Christmas end of the year are you happy with where life is going new year new start what are you trying to do where where are you sliding where are you slipping yeah. I have to say the last two years were so bizarre with COVID and all that we, we really went into weird mental space and more and more in a frightening way I'm meeting an awful lot of people who've been really I just had a gorgeous friend a conversation with an old friend today and it's just like wow we'll be talking about the impact of this for for some time 
And yeah. I think I will be thinking a lot about how COVID has impacted. I've changed my whole, where I actually work is, is a completely different place now because I'm on Zoom mm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really adapt my house to that, if you follow me, because I just slipped into it in March 20, started working in this corner that I'm sitting in, never worked here before. And yeah. um, I'm thinking, well, I'm actually in the middle of trying to win a war with my husband saying I should be in a different part of the house. Okay. <laughs> we will see how, that might be one of my New Year's resolutions to win that particular war. Okay. But actually, what I would like to do is the, the big learning you and I had when we went to New Orleans and we yeah. met in person. And it was just so extraordinary. By the way, for those listeners who haven't had the pleasure of meeting Sasha in person, there's a vitality <laughs> and an energy, like an animal energy that I... <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what I was like. And also the second revelation, just for anybody who's interested, is your son, as I said, you ended up being such an extrovert. We'd walk down the street and she'd say, hello, how are you? <laughs> to people who were walking by. And I'd, I'd be quite a friendly person, but you're everywhere. We go, so tell me. And she started chatting with people. So it was, it was, I thought I really knew you. We were meeting mm. every week. We were chatting a lot on WhatsApp and stuff like that, more than we probably should be. And then I met you and I went, oh, my God. Oh, OK, whole new sides, whole new, whole new levels. And I thought, I'll never, I'll never make that mistake again. I need to pe- meet people in real life. I re- really do. Yeah. 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 That's my big, rev- my big resolution for uh is to prioritise meeting people. And I went to London last week on that basis and it was a roaring success. I just wanted to meet a few people that I know and that knew me and it was gorgeous. Oh, it was just gorgeous. So good. I put in a business meeting in there and it, it yeah. really worked. And I thought, I've got to do it more. I've just got to do this. Both Although, of your yeah. both of your resolutions are interesting because they're kind of they hold opposite poles. You want to fix up your Zoom room <laughs> so that your online work is better, yeah. and you want to see more people in person. Which I actually think that's really cool because you're yeah. trying to make the most of okay. both types of situations. You're right. You're right. What about <laughs> yours? Go on then, spill. <laughs> okay. Well, I, now that you're talking about New Orleans, I just want to say, um, I do talk to everybody. I can't stop talking. I ask everybody about, I'm probably <laughs> so annoying. You either love it or hate it. I think. And she gets into the Uber and, well, hello. <laughs> As I'm looking out the window darkly. <laughs> um, but I, I have to say about New Orleans, when we got to the Airbnb, I, I looked over at Stella's bed where she had stuff oh, yeah. laid out. We had nearly the exact same backpack. Yeah. We it have the so... exact same laptop. phone case phone and the case. same laptop, literally yeah. the same model of laptop. And yeah. I thought it was so weird. Obviously, we were meant we were meant to be friends. Oh, we're so different. We're so yeah, different. We're very different we're people. Hilarious. We had the same yeah. stuff, all That's the same so stuff. <laughs> so my my New Year's resolution, I mean... going to New Orleans was a revelation because, first of all, just spending time together was wonderful. And also, being in the real world for six solid days or whatever the amount of time was, chatting with normal people who know nothing about all of this radical extreme politics stuff was so delightful. Because, you know, when you get into this work in the the way that Stella and I are, you know, we're far, far down a very unusual rabbit hole. And of course, we encounter people whose real lives are impacted by this stuff. So it's all real. But also, it's so important to keep in mind, there's a humongous majority of the population that hasn't even had to approach this with a any kind of inch of their of their like daily Mm. life. So that was very, very nice. So, you know, trying to do more things outside of work, (laughs) we we obviously work a lot. (laughs) If people don't know, embarrassingly a lot. So really just trying to pull away. Um, And then I guess on a more, um, you know, personal level, I'm really, really happy right now with this particular kind of um, weightlifting program that I've been on since June. And it's been amazing because I had knee surgery in September last year. So it's been over a year. And really, 
until I started taking weightlifting very seriously, my knee hadn't improved much. So A, it's really cool to see the I'll can, I'm going to get on like a weightlifting soapbox and then I promise I'll get off. But, you know, if, if you... This has taken a swerve. <laughs> yes, this really has. <laughs> but, you know, if you, if you think about all of the things in our life that we have no control over whatsoever, you know, um, it's really comforting to me to have something within my control that just requires consistent, almost boring commitment. Like I go to the gym, I do these lifts every day. I increase my weight ever so slightly every week. And you know, six months later, you're like, wow, I have been able to triple the amount of weight that I can lift in this particular movement. And developing that kind of physical skill set over time and seeing yourself get stronger. It's just, it's just nice to have something that you know, with the right kind of preparation and the right work, you actually can make serious improvements. And there's something to me that's really comforting about that, given how up in the air so much other stuff is in life. Am I right in thinking that you think that can be quite helpful for somebody who's who's kind of at 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 war with their body? I think if if it if it doesn't tip into vanity and yeah. aesthetic, then yes. So, I mean, I know, for example, that people who get into bodybuilding have a really high incidence of unhealthy eating patterns and disordered eating and a lot of yeah. like shame and self-criticism. So it can tip into that if you're not careful. But if you're looking at it more from the perspective of, I want to develop strength or I want to develop this movement skill, and it's about... um that kind of development rather than pure aesthetic, then I think that is really valuable. And I I think having a goal that you can work towards over time that is about a skill or a, a positive trait is very helpful. It's kind of like even if, you know, if someone were working on writing a book and every month you finished a chapter, like yeah. that's a kind of an accomplishment you can be proud of. So as long as it doesn't tip into really harsh self-criticism or an over-focus on aesthetic, I think weight training can be really powerful for some people. Yeah, I think with the right person, it could be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. So we have for our listeners, you know, a list in no particular order of, you know, 10 possible New Year's resolutions that are focused on mental health and overall well-being. And so um, I really am excited to share this list. People can, of course, pick and choose things that resonate with them. You can think about all 10. You can think about just one. Or you can say no to all of them. <laughs> but <laughs> these are just kind of a list of... of um, Priorities we thought might be cool to kind of roll out as possible New Year's resolutions. Okay, will we go for the first one then? Yes. So it says, um, let me see, you read it out there, prioritizing self-care, is it? Yeah, so this is kind of general and encompasses things like, you know, eating properly, sleeping enough, watching yourself talk. And, um, you know, this is just a general sense of, you know, what am I doing to care for myself to make sure that my well-being is a priority? And I think, especially for anybody out there who feels responsible for another person, obviously parents, but it could be others too. I mean, I know sometimes even detransitioners feel a great sense of responsibility to their online followers or whatever. And I would encourage people to think about... Um, how to balance in your own needs and prioritize yourself if you feel pulled in a million directions. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, the, the things like when you're prioritizing your self-care, remembering the just the basics of sleep and food and uh, your your self-talk, all that sort of stuff. We, we forget about it when we're weak and yeah. it's when we're weak that we most need it. And that's the great tragedy of life. And I, I know for myself, you know, I've had a, a fairly difficult few months just since September. Mm. Everything has been really quite complex and difficult for me. 
And um, I know I've slipped on everything there. I've slipped on everything and I'm feeling it. And you know what? In a way, I would defend it. I I had so much going on. I had so much kind of on my plate. I can see how I did slip. But now is the time for me to say, yeah, and, you know, readjust that. These things happen. It's just part of life. You slip off, you slip back on, you slip off, you slip back on. And yeah, yeah, um, that's something I need to do for my own self. Mm. Which of those would you say is kind of a priority for you? Oh, for me, for the moment is um, the I always go for my walks. I've been going for my walks for so long since COVID, really, and really religiously. Sorry, really religiously. And uh, I just slipped off really since September uh, because of various reasons. And I just want to get back on and miss them. I want to get it back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did. I know why I did fall off it. And it was fair enough. And I also know that I need to get back on it. And I'm looking forward yeah. to it. I'd love to, for example, I'd love to go for I used to go for a walk with my friend really late at night, like 11 mm. and 12. And I'm going to go back, going to hassle Hannah to come back in my midnight walks because I loved them. Wow, you're we so live, cool. Yeah. You take midnight walks? <laughs> yeah. Wow. We okay. live near rural, so it's really beautiful. So you walk yeah. out and you're in the kind of the countryside at night. It's lovely. Weren't you doing like 100 days of walking or something? Yeah. I remember at some mm. point you were posting regularly. Yeah, Kira Kelly's kind of a famous presenter in Ireland and she pushes this 100 days of walking and she pushes it on the 1st of January. And she oh. got me into it two years ago and I kept going and then she got me into it again. So it's, I think three years in a row I've been got into it. And then, like I say, I fell off that thing in September for various reasons and haven't got back on and I'm getting yeah. back on. That's that's yeah. a biggie. So things okay. like that, I would love if listeners said, yeah, actually, I've just done something similar. We do. And it's not yeah. about giving out about yourself. It's about noting it, taking opportunities yeah. like new year to say yeah yeah get that for back sure in. yeah okay so can you read the second one there okay hang on a second it wasn't out um learn about the many ways to communicate this is a biggie verbal non-verbal listening written visual a lot of people think that the only way to communicate is with um words especially I often feel people of this uh, movement were all word Ooh. mad. And I remember mm-hmm. when I first became friendly with Angus and he was like, all these essays, where's the visuals? Like, oh, Christ, it's all these really yeah. long, brilliant, wordy essays. And there was very little visual content. And I thought, he's right. He's actually right. It's, oh. it's, a, it's a real uh, distinct characteristic of this movement that we're wordy people. Mm-hmm. And it's no accident. It's a language movement, really. And um, I think people need to be aware that especially and I'm going to kind of generalize wildly, but especially for boys, not always, but sometimes you could argue that some boys might more communicate with physicality. So, you know, let's say if you've got um, uh, uh, some people and they might might communicate with words, but you could kind of put on the fire or you could cook them their favorite dinner. You could kind of throw a kind of a nice soft rug on top of them. You can do little tending physical yeah. things or mm-hmm. you can, you know, run a bath and say, go on in and have the bath. Go on in and have it. You can just do little things that are physical that yeah. can actually communicate plenty. And it's not words don't always work as such, you know? Yeah, that's such a good point. So you're talking about not just communication in terms of like work and like the movement of trying to be more gender exploratory you're talking also about even in in personal relationships like learning how to communicate your appreciation or love in other ways too and your tenderness and your value of them and your your I find one thing that you can really communicate and make it your business to communicate is your acknowledgement that they're having a very distressing time Mm. And it's a kind of a tenderness that you can communicate. And that can be done with, I just thought, I know you love when I cook this. I just thought I'd. Yeah. Just little things like that can be very, very loving, really. Yeah, for sure. That's really nice. I love that. Okay. So, So number three is invest in quality relationships in real life and in online connections. So, of course, this kind of speaks to what we were saying about our time in New Orleans and what we learned there. Um, I understand that for many people, especially I think from the younger generation, like 30 and under maybe, that can be hard. I mean, do you do you have any thoughts on how to move 
valuable connections into online or from online into real life because I think this is tough I mean even for us you know you and Lisa are Mm. these two really dear friends and we had to meet halfway across the world for you to connect so I don't think this is a completely novel problem for people these days what thoughts do you have on that I think we need to prioritize it because it's so important. But I do think I've noticed like some a lot of the young people I work with, all of them, if not a lot of them, um, have real issues. A lot of their friendships are online. They don't mm-hmm. quite know they're, they're missing a huge amount of depth. And yeah. it takes a lot of effort to go to the trouble of trying to find physical in real life friendships. And I think it's really important I do think as well for parents who might be listening or for even people who are just in the gender movement, we can feel a little bit um, separate from others because others don't understand the complexity of this movement. And we can start to feel a little bit isolated. Mm -hmm. And so let's say you might have gone to a choir or you might have gone somewhere and you kind of think these are almost not my people anymore because I'm so immersed in this world and they know nothing about this world. And I think, honestly, we have to just accept that and still maintain those friendships. I I think you can end up just thinking just I just want to talk about gender and I I, I don't want to talk. We've got to pull ourselves out of that. I think it's just something that it's it's not madly healthy to just and it's actually very healthy to talk to people and realize, oh, God, it's not all of it. There's lots of other issues that, you know, it can be very healthy for us to talk to people who are not at all interested. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for this show, and we're grateful to Rhyme and Genspect for supporting us. Rhyme, or Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving long term care for gender variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. And Genspect is an international alliance of parents and professional groups whose aim is to advocate for parents of gender-questioning children and young people. If you'd like to become a patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts and special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Now back to the show. Okay, that's a really big one. So, So I think a way to summarize that is develop relationships and in-person connections that are not about gender yeah 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 and and just because they are doesn't mean they're clueless they have their wealth right what are you thinking and what do you think of the next one i i think that i think that piece of advice is really really good i'm still kind of thinking about that um well it it makes me think about maybe to add on to this developing some hobbies you know this kind of leads into self-care a little bit too which we talked about at the beginning you know develop some interests or hobbies or activities that are just purely enriching or engaging or interesting Mm. or that bring you joy and excitement I mean we we have to have that not everything can be a political battle every day all day we have to have pleasure and joy and engagement you're right. Like the way you talked about your weightlifting, you became really animated and it was like, oh, I see. And yeah. it's like we need those things. We need yeah. them because it's otherwise we become bent out of shape. We become we become kind of obsessive and we lose our, our sense of pleasure and yeah. we lose ourselves, really. And so it's yeah. really important. So you can feel bored in the company of people who don't really get the complexity of where you're going all the time in your thoughts. And you can feel a little bit impatient. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important that we don't dismiss the wealth that is out there just because yeah. we've stumbled into this extraordinarily complex phenomenon doesn't mean that there isn't huge wealth to be found elsewhere. And we can yeah. forget that. Oh, that's so good. Okay, so let's look at the next one. Number four. This is maybe my favorite one. Okay. Practice digital hygiene within your household. Digital hygiene. I, I only learned about that term recently. What What is digital hygiene? Well, um, in my world, it's kind of uh, having... Is it of... when you, you clean your phone with <laughs> a little alcohol wipe? <laughs> well, I'd be a disaster at that if it is. <laughs> It is um, having a healthy attitude to tech in your household. So, for example, maybe no tech in the kitchen. 
maybe no tech after 11 o'clock at night, which I failed because I'm ending up chatting with you on WhatsApp. But, <laughs> um, but different things. So let's say the kids might always have to take their phones out or all their devices out at a certain time at night. That's digital hygiene. It's like, yeah. OK, when we when snack foods came in in the 70s and that's when they did come in, we, we kind of celebrated with loads of snack foods and we all ate convenience foods. And then by the 80s, there was a kind of growing awareness that this wasn't the healthiest. And then there became a kind of awareness of, you know, watch your snacks, you know, not yeah. good for you. And we started becoming snack aware and started becoming kind of more aware of that. And it's the same, like the digital world landed, mm. we exploded, we fell all over it. And now here we are a good few years in going, OK, we actually need to put some serious um structure around this or we'll just be half online and half offline all day I've got an awful habit and my husband absolutely loads it and he's right which is half watching telly and half oh yeah I am that person and I've started a lot and I really recommend it um I leave my phone upstairs I just because if I if I bring it down I'll be half online and I'll be half watching telly and he's like it's so annoying you're half talking you're half online, you're half watching, <laughs> it's a joy. <laughs> I have the same thing. I mean, I found myself like, if there's a podcast on, even though I might be very interested in listening, I'll just kind of pull out my phone and look through my messages. And then obviously I'm not doing justice to either task. So frightening. This is, it's frightening. It's, it's frightening. Yeah. And just kind of goes to show our level of stimulation is always upping the ante. Like I remember... You know, my dad telling me about how, like, back in Egypt when they were kids, they would all sit around the radio and listen to, like, radio programs, and they were, like, over the moon of with excitement for, like, this radio show or whatever. But now it's like we, we can have a TV blasting one place, a podcast going another place, we're texting somewhere, our computers are open, like, whoa, we really need to slow it down because and we, we, we can't it. even handle it. We can't even process it. We feel it. So, we feel adult. We feel tense. You know what I mean? And that podcast, which you're really enjoying and you put, you start scrolling, I do it myself and you've kind of ruined both on yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And I you didn't even know you didn't even know you were doing it. Until and then you I have to stop the podcast oh, and rewind tedious. it so that I can get back into it. But then your train of thought has been destroyed. And I have a moment of self-loathing thinking, what the hell am I at? <laughs> it's all perfect. So perfect there's that story. self-talk, right? Watch yourself talk when you're beating yourself up for your digital hygiene. <laughs> no, but I mean to make this concrete, so something that um I want to start doing, like really, really want to start doing. Today was day one, okay? So oh. like you got to oh, encourage me. you, yeah. Rather than okay. waking up, making coffee, and immediately checking my WhatsApp, which is usually like a long scroll of messages between us. <laughs> especially because I get up first because I'm in Ireland. But Lisa, yes. frankly, gets up maybe an hour later, even though she's firing virus ahead of me. <laughs> But she's a kid in Philadelphia, so she gets up next. So we have plenty of messages and then Sasha comes in. Hello! (laughs) With my like a million thoughts. So uh, what I would like to do is actually give myself some space in the morning before I actually open any technology. Just to have it be, you know, have my coffee, do my reading, do whatever Mm. I need to do before I dive into problem solving mode because you know your your mind gets into a certain mode the second you are corresponding and it's wonderful but it also um something funny about the technology is that you can't really compartmentalize what you want to attend to so if you open your phone and you have I have all my notifications off so that's good but if I go to like my whatsapp and then I go to my email and then I go to twitter mm. you know you're you're forced to engage with a variety of topics or tasks that maybe you weren't oriented towards. Maybe all you wanted to do is like say hello to somebody, yeah. but then you get sucked in. That's so- part of the digital hygiene. Many of us have a triangle and sometimes it's a, a quadrangle or whatever the word is, a, a, you know, yeah. because you go from Twitter over to email, over to maybe Mumsnet and over to Facebook, then back yeah. up to Twitter, over to email. Do, 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 and you do this loop yes. and you have your loop. And you go around and around the loop. It's frightening how many times you can actually go around back onto Twitter to check over to this. What's in your loop? What's in your Mine loop? would be Twitter. Um, uh-huh. Flick onto Mumsnet because I'm very fond I'm of Mumsnet. And yeah. uh, obviously, definitely over to WhatsApp. And I, mm, 
More and more emails are work. So less and less am I checking my emails on my phone. And I'm just thinking I can't attend to that. So it has to be on the computer. So I'm not allowed. So yeah, yeah, I think my loop, honestly, Facebook really isn't in my loop. I'd say it's Twitter, Mumsnet, WhatsApp, Twitter, Mumsnet, WhatsApp. The odd flick onto Facebook and get a bit annoyed and back onto Twitter, Mumsnet, (laughs) (laughs) It's a joy. But you know what I'm going to do to to kind of follow your your lead? I'm going to do it on the other side of the, the day. I am a big, big reader. And since I've got immersed in this, especially since COVID, this online world, I, I've noticed that I'm reading online in bed instead of reading my book. And my book in my bed is my favourite time of the day. Yeah. I'm going to get get the hell, that get that away because the amount of times I finally put down my phone, pick up my book and I think, oh, I should have done this ages ago. Me too. Really? I get it. Yeah I, yeah, I read in the mornings and okay. it's like if I allow phone work to creep too much into my yeah. like morning reading time once I finally do get to my book I'm like oh why do I I only have One. five minutes yeah. to read or whatever and then, I, I think yeah. I'm, I'm knackered I don't have the energy and I, I actually yeah. this is the lovely bit mm-hmm. it's a different reading when you're reading on your phone your your shoulders are tense your body yeah. is crouched you're like you're kind of tensed over it when you're That's reading different. your book you're actually you're in a different state dance you're actually in a different physicality which is coming to the next point would you like to read yes okay (laughs) you you put this in it's hilarious I added this one because um, (laughs) it's a very Sasha isn't it it's a very (laughs) Sasha and it's actually it's exactly where I'm neglecting my myself like I say Mm. since September I've been neglecting myself so it's exactly where I'm not at so I'm very pleased yeah okay so so number five is move your body and make it a habit you enjoy yes So I think for some people, they think about, oh, I want to get healthy in the new year. And it feels like a chore that they have to do so that they can avoid some horrible, doomed fate. But what I'm saying is find a way to move that is interesting, enjoyable, fun, that transports you to kind of a different mindset. It has to be something positive and it it should be something that you love and enjoy and like you're you're walking I mean that sounds so nice and I'm sure it's gorgeous where you live it's beautiful and I have a set walk and it's just gorgeous and it's really pleasant and I put on a podcast and I'm in my element or else I go out with my friend it's one or the other and it's just so pleasant and I've lost it and I'm getting it back god I need to what's yours what's your well I mean I I also dance and so since moving to Arizona dance is well dance has been on the back burner for some years as one might imagine but um I think for me like finding a way to make dance a more regular part of my life um it's I, I love I love the gym I love lifting weights I love going for walks we actually happen to live um, literally at, on a beautiful park that stretches many, many blocks and it's full of little lakes and basketball courts and skate parks. I mean, it's a beautiful place. So with the weather here being so nice, going for walks is something I really enjoy doing. So, yeah. Nice. So we'll both be walking more in 2022. Oh, thank you. See, it'll be fab. Oh, well, when I come visit you one of these days, we'll definitely check it out. I'm coming with my kiddos to you, so yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. Okay, so let's look at number six. This, this is, is my one favorite. from you. Tell this me. is my favorite. Seek comfort in the arts, literature, and music. I think it's not used enough in therapeutic world. I think it's the most underestimated, effective, and powerful um, therapeutic tool you can have. You yeah. can, if you s- listen to a piece of music that transports you, you know, you actually start to think maybe we are beyond, maybe there is something beyond because music yeah. doesn't make sense. It, it's, it seems to reach a part of us that that is very untouchable. And um, the same with poetry. If you're feeling sad and if you read the right poem, a calmness and a, a kind of a moving real depth of there's a universality to deep, tremendous pain. And when you realise, oh, my God, others have been here, too. And and they've been good, kind people and terrible things have happened to them. And and it's it's something consoling about that. And the same with books. There's a brilliant book, Brideshead Revisited. I don't know why I just suddenly thought I know why I thought of it, because it was a real it was a real for me, a real 
game changer in depth of my understanding of life. And uh, it's a beautiful book. And I remember I remember a description of uh, a mental pain. And the guy says it was a bruise upon a bruise. And I just thought, oh, just the pain of that. He knew the pain. He had the pain and more pain came. And he said with with no hope that it would ever improve. And it was just it was so moving. I remember reading it and just realizing that people many years ago have lived through lives and they've had serious, serious challenges. And life goes on and there's still beauty to be found. And I think it's it's underestimated and it's incredibly important, you know. Yeah, I, I think that kind of transcendent universality is very, very important, especially for those of us who, again, are kind of down a rabbit hole that's so particular and so context dependent yeah. and so um, an expression of our particular moment in time. And yes, totally cerebral getting lost in a piece of music or even being transported by a beautiful book. And it, it could be something that reflects pain or just something that transports you to really beautiful fantasy as well. I mean, yeah. I think being yeah. able to disconnect can be just as important as feeling like your pain is seen or reflected yeah. somewhere. And not all right reading, because I know a lot of my reading had become very helpful. And sometimes reading can just be literally escape escape from your world just go to bed get have a bath read something that brings you off just brings you off in a boat somewhere else and let you enter that world you know you know it's funny because when we were in new orleans lisa was well lisa has been talking about this uh cormorant strike series by jk rowling um and i said you know lisa i i tend to read so many like kind of sociology books yeah. and just like commentary books. And I I really don't read a lot of books just for pleasure. And I have been reading this series and it's so wonderful. And of course really? there are issues that are relevant that J.K. Rowling is writing about that reminds me of my work and of gender and of all these kind of contemporary kind of social issues. J.K. Rowling knows her gender. She's an amazing writer. And it's just really nice to be excited to pick up the book and read, you know, like, oh, I can't wait to find out what happens next. And we're watching Succession, which you have to watch. It's unbelievable. Anybody who's listening, if you're watching Succession, just like comment somewhere because (laughs) I I heard about Succession from like three people that I really, really trust. And by the third person, I was like, fine, we have to watch it. Yeah, I've got to watch it. I've got to watch it. It may not be literature or like some great novel, but it's... You know, transporting well, yourself just in a positive, interesting way. I tell you, a funny, a funny novel that I'd recommend, uh, it came out a couple of years ago. Nobody really commented on it, even though he's a very well-known writer in, in the UK and Ireland, Ben Elton. He's a comedian and he hmm. wrote a book called Identity Crisis. And it's all oh. about the gender issue, but it's comedy. It's very funny. It's very, very funny. And I'd really oh. recommend it. And it's, it's, it's satirical, very uh, cool. I won't give it away, but really good read. Lovely bit of escapism. Very funny, and couldn't couldn't recommend it more. Really funny. Really good. Oh, cool. We'll include that in the notes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we better motor on through. Where Let's are we? Let's do number seven. Seek flexible thinking and note rigid thinking. Beware of catastrophizing. Beware of black and white thinking. Woohoo. So this is a this is a very CBT kind of move here, which I actually really love this because yeah. it's so important to become aware of these traps and these biases that we all can fall on into, especially when we're talking about heated, controversial, intense uh, political and personal issues. So we we have to be mindful of this because we're all. We're all susceptible to falling prey to these kind of thinking errors. Yeah, it's it's really true. Catastrophizing, catastrophizing in the middle of the night about how everything is going to go horrendously bad is a real issue. You know what I mean? There's a great line from Homer Simpson in The Simpsons saying, that's a problem for the future, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and um, I, I, I really think, you know, you'll cross that bridge when you come to it. There's no point in meeting the devil halfway. I could throw you a hundred phrases around this and they all say, watch out 
for that. Watch out for that. You don't know where you'll be and you don't know what will be happening. And you're just basically you're 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 putting your finger in a wound and you're hurting yourself is what you're doing. And it's four in the morning and you're the loneliest person in the world and your mind is racing. It's just something to be very, very wary of. Catastrophizing with gender is something that doesn't massively help. And it's it's all about get into the reality, get into the reality and um, watch your rigid thinking because we can be so rigid. And um, it's it's you know, there is a lot of 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 rigid thinking in this actual movement, you know, Mm. because there is rigidity with, you know, ASD, autism spectrum disorder and it's flexibility is a real hallmark of healthy thinking. And rigid yeah. thinking is something that we have to be wary of. And we can fall into rigid thinking very much. We think, you know, you can very much respond to rigidity with rigidity. And it's 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 difficult not to, but it's Ugh. it's better if we can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what's coming to my mind is that when you are when you are trying to make some sort of cultural or political change, People who are writing about the topic or engaged in the topic have to play up a certain kind of rigidity to get the point across. So catastrophizing is a pretty common thing journalists have to do, um, which journalists probably should be reporting in a very neutral manner. But the truth is that I believe there's literally a catastrophe happening when it comes to childhood transition. And also... Um, we have to hold space for the fact that there is, there's hope and there's a possibility and there's always opportunity and things don't have to be always framed as a, like a life or death situation. And I think, you know, you're so right about this being a hallmark of well-being, like having psychological flexibility. And to be honest, you know, for somebody like myself or you who have been in this work now for more than five years or something, I have watched certain individuals who are detransitioners and their evolution and their growth. And I think people who are doing well and are able to heal, not that they will ever be fully healed or they will ever look back and say, actually, I'm, I'm I don't have anger at the medical industry or I don't have anger at my therapist, but, but people who are doing well have to develop some sort of resilience and flexibility or else they get stuck in a complete victim role forever and no matter how much blame the doctors and the industry deserves which i think they do and i've said this for six solid years now that's all i've said but on the individual level when a person is trying to heal from being wronged they have to have some sort of resilience and flexibility. And I think as a movement, all of the people who are here listening to us for the same reasons that they're concerned about this rush to medicalize, we have to be mindful not to get too stuck in a very rigid black or white way of thinking and making enemies out of people who maybe are our allies and things like that. So I think this kind of flexibility is super important and I'm really glad that you brought this up. Yeah, couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it's it's not easy. It's yeah. it's it's not easy to stay flexible. Um kind of linking with that is number eight, which is focus on this moment. Sometimes if you go to the hardest times in your life, and I, I remember once years ago I was pregnant with my second child and my first child was one which was, you know, full on. And my husband got very, very sick. He ended up in hospital for months and he was in a coma. And I was being told that he was going to come out in a wheelchair. And like our lives were falling apart, literally, you know what I mean? Mm. And it was just, it was so intense. And I didn't have my best friend because he was in a coma. And I remember at the time, if I was to wave a magic, my point is this was a properly hard time. This was properly, you know. And it was 2009, so it was the crash. So And he was a builder, so his his ba- business was going to pieces and stuff. Everything was happening. And if I was to have a wa- magic wand to go back and say one thing I wish I had done 
was I lived, I kept on imagining in the future what it was going to be like. He'd be in a wheelchair and we'd have to move and we wouldn't have a house. Mm. And oh my God, I was going to have two kids and how was it going to cope? And off I went over there when actually, honestly, today's was hard enough. I didn't need to land all yeah. of that. Yeah. And if I could have just stayed in the moment, the day to day, that just if it could just don't go off into that future, yes. because yes. It, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. It turned out, I always forget to tell the end of this story. It turned out fine. He came out of hospital. He was very good. He was very brave. He was very courageous. He really, um, he really did his work to get his physio and he walks and he's fine. And he's, it's a distant memory God, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It did leave a mark, but it's, uh, it's been an amazing recovery. Um, yeah, but if if I, looking back at that terrible time, and I've had other times, and I always went to the went to the despair. I went to the future, and I went to the despair, and that's what I'm urging people. Having been there in different, I won't go to other stories, but there's many of them in my life, and I just think, ah, oh, I I didn't need to add that onto me, you know, mm-hmm. it was bad enough. So mm-hmm. living in the moment, I think, is so important. Yeah. Taking things kind of one day at a time, dealing with what's in front of you rather than what's 10 miles ahead. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this also means enjoying the precious moments that you have that where everything's okay. I mean, if, if you are a parent and you're worried about your child, I would also guess that there are many, many moments throughout your week where you're sitting on the couch, you know, watching a movie together or you're, you know, t- chatting about something over dinner Enjoy those moments yeah. and, and relish in them because that that is also part of the way you improve relationships and stay engaged in your life is by staying present in the moment. So yeah. I think that's a good one. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. So number nine is similar, finding yeah. pleasure in little things. So what was on your mind when you were thinking uh, about this one? Stella? My one is, for anybody who knows me would say is unsurprising, was centered on putting on new sheets on the bed and getting into bed. It's a real <laughs> pleasure for me. I just love my bed. Being in bed has come up a lot oh, during yeah, this I'm conversation. <laughs> I will admit Bed it. mad. I love bed mad. <laughs> but yeah, you know that gorgeous feeling of the sheets and new sheets. It's a pleasure. It's just one yeah. of those gorgeous pleasures. And a yeah. really, really nice cup of tea at the right moment. Just, just, yeah. just taking the pleasure of it. A shower, I always think, easy easy, always accessible. You could have a shower today and you can walk in and you could be thinking about what you're going to do today and you could be vigorously washing yourself and you could be da, 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 and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to say that to him and, da, 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 and you could get out and dry yourself or you could go in and you could revel in yeah. the water, the gorgeousness, the sensuality, the, the hair, the suds, the beautifulness yeah. of a shower. We I have know. that. We have that access to it every single day. And we wreck yeah. it because we're thinking, and then I go do this. Blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. extraordinary. Like, so, yeah. It's so amazing you say that because that was exactly what I was thinking of. I mean, it's something that most of us, most of us hopefully, do every day. <laughs> and it can be a really nice kind of total escape little moment mm. in your day. If you have whatever soap you have in there that smells really enjoyable and like, if it's a cold day and you get the water a little extra hot, like it's yeah. really a very luxurious, accessible thing. So I, I think that's a really good example. And I think yeah. for me, I adore food and cooking. And sometimes when it's time for dinner, you know, if I'm in the wrong mindset, it kind of feels like a chore that oh, I just have to think about. But there are other times when I'm really excited about just taking the time to make something really good and smelling it and just every step of the the recipe or the process. And there's a way that we can enjoy these kind of little everyday moments that we we tend to take for granted or we kind of glaze over them while thinking about other things. And I know it's very easy because we're not going through the most awful time and it could be very I know listeners could say this is, you know, almost insensitive. I can't enjoy anything. I can't enjoy anything. It's just all so horrible. And I would say it's kind of vital that you take some enjoyment from some things. It's kind of vital that you give it to your 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 soul almost needs it so that you can you cannot be weakened and crippled by this. You've kind of got to sometimes just say, I'm just going to enjoy this sandwich. 
I'm just going to eat this little piece of food and I'm just going to mm. just actually t- listen to the radio and just blank, just just enjoy this moment because I have to. Because yes. it's it's almost like you need sleep. You kind of you need a little bit of pleasure because it's like it's like people get crushed. You can see the joylessness has just got in. It's just got yeah. in and they're holding tighter and tighter and tighter to their solution. And it's like, honestly, in the gentlest possible way, you will be very difficult to find a solution when you're in that rigid, tight, joyless space. And yeah. so the only thing you can do is soften your jaw, soften your shoulders, soften your body and just seek a little bit of just a little bit, even for 10 seconds, a little bit of joy, because it's kind of a, I think it's mentally I think it's actually critical. Yeah, it's almost like a palate cleanser or something that you need. And I've heard Lisa Marciano talk a lot about the importance. And I know she got this from somewhere else, so I don't mean to misattribute where this idea comes from. But th- this this um, idea of enjoying your children. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it. like most parents love their kids and want the best for their kids and worry about their kids. But there's this other thing that happens when you genuinely enjoy your children. When she talks about, you know, if your child walks in the room and you glance and your eyes just light up and a smile comes over your face, your child will feel enjoyed and welcomed and wanted. And so, you know, this is not at all unrelated to what we're talking about. If you've lost the ability to enjoy or have joy from other little things in your life, it's going to be very difficult to find joy in your child, especially when they're doing things that scare you or drive you crazy or get under your skin. So you cannot expect to abandon the entire project of joy and pleasure and still find a way to parent your child in a loving, healthy manner. So I Mm. think these things are connected. They are very much so. And some sort of, if at all possible, if you happen to have a sense of fun about you, it can really retrieve, it can retrieve so much, it can really build bridges that if you both can have a shared sense of humour in a funny kind of incident with the traffic warden or somebody's face, it can lighten, it can be a shared moment where you haven't connected in six months and you, you both, your eyes meet over this and it can actually make a difference. So there, there, there is there is a necessity for it. I, I would be really quite serious about it. Bring yes. some, and you'll be the better for it for, for every reason. So drum roll. I think we're on the last one, are we? Number 10. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Seek to understand the needs behind ROGD. What is driving this gender distress? So I think this is a, a, an invitation to get our minds out of gender and think big picture. Let's try to understand what's really going yeah. on. As I always say, gender comes in the picture and clouds everybody's ability to see what's happening. So I really think this is very, very good advice. Very important. Can you say more about your thoughts on this? It's like, it's like every mental health. And I think we as an industry maybe haven't communicated this maybe sufficiently. So like when, when an alcoholic becomes an alcoholic, it wasn't that they started an alcoholic. Probably they started maybe socially anxious, maybe depressed, maybe anything. Maybe they needed alcohol to kind of, that was the solution to the mental distress that they had. And then they developed, a, a, you know, habituation and addiction. The very same for other things that on some level, it felt like the solution. So gender yeah. feels like the solution and therefore there was a problem. Right. But what is the problem? Because focusing on that solution, which is gender, is missing the problem. And yeah. figure out the problem. And very often the problem might be social anxiety, might be loneliness, isolation, trauma, perfectionism, all of those And the sooner you figure out the problem, the sooner you're less lost and you're less kind of taken in by the by the decoy of gender. Yeah. And I I think that's what's so important there. And that can help parents, you know, who may be listening to strategize about next year. You know, if your child is feeling really lonely and isolated um, and gender has become this thing rather than you know, trying to focus so much on the gender, help connect them with people in real life. Let's see if there's like a local club that they can join that has to do with drawing or skateboarding or whatever. I mean, finding ways to address those needs 
doesn't have to be um, something that is a really big conflict, you know? I mean, sometimes parents think, well, first we have to resolve the gender issue and then we'll work yeah. on these other things. And I say, no, it's precisely the opposite. You know, gender may just be this awkward thing that nobody knows how to address for maybe several years in your family or, or maybe longer or maybe less, right? But first things first, you do have to try and figure out what the underlying needs are so you can try to meet those. And oftentimes, in my experience, when those needs are being met, tension kind of loosens up a little bit about the gender. And in my experience, when the parents have no idea about what the needs are, there's a communication issue that people could really benefit from um, dealing with. So then you'd say, okay, first of all, there's a problem and I don't know what it is. Um, before that, there's a problem with communication, which I need to first of all deal with. And when yeah. we get through the communication problem, we will then, it, we will unearth what the actual problem is. And you've gone a completely different direction rather than reading studies by the eminent Ken Zucker and things like that. And he is brilliant. But to me, it's kind of sending you off on the wrong it's like a wild track. goose chase, it as is. they say, right? It feels like one. It yeah. really does. And it's yeah. like, I wouldn't get it. I wouldn't go and be an expert in gender. I'd go and be an expert. You do need to know a certain level because you cannot yeah. allow the child to have more authority than you have. You need to be able to hold your own. But when you've got to the point where you do know as much as them and a good deal more, then you need to say, actually, I need to be the equivalent about communication. I need to be the equivalent about emotional intelligence or insight or expanding the life or learning to find joy or being a role model or digital hygiene. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yes. So I think it's really important and I'm glad we, we finished on that one. It's funny, out of the 10 resolutions, and this is very much around gender, one of them is focused on gender and I think appropriately, nine of them are the, the other stuff that's so important. Oh my gosh, I think that's really telling and this is a great kind of overall s symbol for what we are trying to communicate. So well done to us. And <laughs> I'm going to include some... Uh, links in our notes that kind of relate to some of the things we discussed. And we hope that everybody is excited about our Pioneer series, which we are really thrilled about. So please keep keep your eye out for that. That will be out next week in the year 2022. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. This podcast is sponsored by Rhyme and Genspect. And listener support means a lot to us. The best way to help is to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Follow us on social media. And if you'd like to become a patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts of the show, special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash widerlenspod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.